building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. Today I'm here with Greg Steer, one of the great evangelists of our time, with a bunch of awesome stories. He's never a disappointment. So Greg Steer, we've been friends a long time. Yep. You are like a spiritual brother to me. Sometimes a father, because you had to stop right as we were starting and, and pray, because I, I wasn't godly enough to remember. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, I always tell people, you're a pain in the keister to go to dinner with because yeah. you end up witnessing to the waitress every time. You got to witness to the waitress. And so, I mean, you're like leading people to Christ. You know, we, we go to dinner and you're sitting there and, and you've got somebody like on their knees receiving Christ. And I'm like, can I get some more coffee? <laughs> <laughs> well, we keep each other balanced. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you're a constant conviction to me about sharing our faith. But that didn't come from nowhere with no. you. And you have this like incredible story, and I want to get out of the way as much as possible uh, of your story. Because mm-hmm. you have a book coming out on your story, which you have all these books, and some of them are super convicting about what sharing your faith. But you actually wrote an autobiography, which I can't wait to read. Yeah, it's a it's weird because it's a memoir about my life, but twenty two chapters. The first twenty one chapters all happened before I turned sixteen, so it's really about the radical transformation of my my entire family. Through the power of the gospel it's called unlikely fighter comes out this november through tyndale so i'm excited about it but it was really you know really conjured up a lot of memories kind of just you know cross-checking my stories with my aunts and my uncles and my family and man it was it's and, a crazy and you story. had a family i had a family and 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 the whole book could take place before you were 16 because before you were 16 you lived more life than like most people do in 60 years. You had my 16 years. Yeah. And, and it's, I've seen a lot more violence than most people see their entire lives. Um, so I tell people, and when I've preached at Promise Keepers before, where I use the opening line, I don't come from a typical religious church-going, pew-sitting, hymn-singing family. I come from a family filled with bodybuilding, tobacco chewing, beer-drinking thugs. And that's just the women. There's the punchline. And uh, it's one of my favorite lines. Uh, yeah, you know, I get you. It's my signature line. But I have uh, five uncles. Three of them were competitive bodybuilders. Uh, the fourth one was a, a Golden Gloves boxer and judo champion and war hero. And the fifth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. My mom was the only girl in the group, and they were all afraid of her. I describe her as like the woman at the well with a baseball bat, kind of like a combination soccer mom and Terminator, like the mominator, right? And she was tough, tough lady. So I was raised in North Denver, which at the time was the highest crime rate area in Denver. It was run by an Italian, you know, organized crime family called the Smalldones. And the Smalldones... So that was their real name? The Smalldones, yeah. That sounds like it's totally made up from some movie. It sounds totally made up from some movie, but that's that's the, the real name. Smalldones. The Smalldones. And the Smalldones had nicknamed my uncles the Crazy Brothers. So when the mafia thinks your family is dysfunctional, it's not good, right? <laughs> and so my family was far from Christ. We were raised right in the middle of the highest crime rate area of our city. My family had a lot to do with that crime rate. And one by one... They were radically transformed by the power of the gospel of Christ. And my uncle Jack, who was the toughest one of my uncles, uh, you remember Lyle Alzado? 
Oh, yeah. So he was considered to be the meanest player in the NFL. He played for the Denver Broncos for a while. Well, he and my Uncle Jack worked out at the same gym. Really? And, yeah. And my they were slated. My Uncle Jack would arm wrestle for money. They were slated to arm wrestle twice in an arm wrestling contest. And my uncle would take 350 pounds and turn his hands the wrong way to bench press and keep his hands close together just to build his forearm strength and yell across the gym, hey, fat boy, I'm coming for you. And Alzado. And Alzado was nuts. Alzado backed out two times from arm wrestling my Uncle Jack. Wow. So my family, they were just crazy. My Uncle Jack spent time in uh, jail. Uh, for a lot of his life, once for choking two cops unconscious at the same time who were trying to arrest him on assault charges. And then a bunch of cops showed up and beat him almost to death. One by one, my family came to Christ, but Jack was the first one to really come hard. And that was because a preacher who was from the deep South, who for some reason, his nickname was Yankee, planted a church in the suburbs of Denver and on a dare from a guy named Bob Daly, who knew my family, who was a believer, but he was too, you know, didn't didn't want to share the gospel with all of them. Dared Yankee. Yankee goes to my Uncle Jack's door, knocks on his door. Jack comes to the door, no shirt on, tats everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. Talk like this. And he had big lamb chop sideburns. He looked like the Wolverine. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he has seen pictures of <laughs> Yeah, he just looked like a jacked up version of the Wolverine. He goes, what do you want? And uh, Yankee goes, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. The Yankee was bold. And he goes, well, I don't know Jesus, but I know Bob, so I'll give you five minutes. Invites him in, lays the gospel on him. And, he's, you know, I don't know Bob, but I, I, I don't know Jesus, but I know Bob, so I'll give you five minutes. Comes in, lays the gospel on him. Never heard the gospel before. Uh, Yankee said, does that make sense? He goes, hell yeah. He put his faith in Christ. And one by one by one, you know, my family members came to Christ through this radical set of circumstances. And I'm just a little kid in North Denver, blown away by the power of the gospel. My family, over the course of just a handful of years, was radically transformed. That's why I'm just absolutely convinced what's going to change this nation more than politics, more than moral reformation, more than education. The one thing that's going to change everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it changed my whole family, changed from the inside out. And um, my mom, she was one of the hardest ones to reach because my mom um, was a partier as a result of one of the parties. I never met my biological father. Um, they, they met at a party. They partied. She got pregnant. He got transferred. 2,000 miles away. She drove from Denver to Atlanta to try to let him know, hey, I'm, you know, we need to make this baby legitimate. He didn't want to have anything to do with her. Um, so she went to Boston to abort me in 1965. But it was before Roe v. Wade. She was going to have an illegal abortion, staying with my uncle Tommy, my aunt Carol. And they were believers. They They talked her out of it. They talked her out of it over the course of months. She came back home, eight months pregnant, had me. And I always wondered why growing up, when she looked at me, she would break into tears oftentimes. And it, and it was when my grandma told me, hey, she almost aborted you. I was 12 years old. She told me that. Mm -hmm. I knew that she was filled with shame because every time she looked at me, she thought I almost killed my son, mm -hmm. you know? So 
I went to Yankees church. I was trained and equipped to share the gospel. So I began to share the gospel with my mom. She was number one on my list. And I, I tried to tell her and she'd always say the same thing again. She'd say, you don't know the things I've done wrong. God, God can never forgive me. And I knew them all because my grandma told me everything. And when I was 15 years old, again, I'd been equipped by Yankee to share the gospel. I walked in and I just figured, you know what? You got to come at my family straight. You can't come side through the side door. You got to kick in the front door. I came in the kitchen. I said, sit down. I go, Ma, you're going to go to hell if you don't put your faith in Christ. I need to tell you about Jesus. She goes, all right, tell me again. I go, I need your full attention, Ma. She goes, you got it. I laid the gospel out. She's smoking a cigarette. I said, Ma, Jesus died for all your sin and all you got to do is trust in him. She goes, you mean to tell me that if I just put my faith in Jesus, he'll forgive me for all my sins, even the bad ones. I go, that's what Jesus said. She took a drag. <sighs> she said, I'm in. And I'll never forget that moment she put her faith in Christ. And she struggled. She was forgiven. But she struggled with shame to the day that she died 17 years ago. And at the day that she died, I was relieved because I knew for the first time she was not just guilt-free and sin-free. She was shame-free. And so, man, the power of the gospel to change. I mean, change our family, change our community, change everything. That's why I, I do Dare to Share. I train teenagers how to share the gospel. When I, you know, my first Promise Keepers event, I, I spoke uh, for an event called The, the Passage. And it was for teenage boys. It was their one and only teen boy event. And they stuck me with a sex talk. <laughs> so nice. I, I wanted to train them all how to share the gospel, but they gave me the purity talk. So I preached on Joseph. Get get buff, get tough, get out. He was well-built and handsome physically, but he took care of himself spiritually. Get buff, get tough, say no day after day. And if it gets too hot to handle, like with Potiphar's wife, get out. Just run like Forrest Gump right out of there. But I went to Randy Phillips, who was the president, right after that. I said, man, what if we trained all these men at PK how to share the gospel? And he goes, well, you can train our preachers to train them. I go, forget that. Let me train them. And I, I was surprised. He goes, okay. So we did a whole tour, the challenge tour, where we trained all the men at Promise Keepers, like a couple hundred thousand, how to share the gospel, gave them the 48-hour challenge. Because although I work with teenagers, man, I, I believe that if men and women and teenagers and boys and girls we share the gospel, it's going to change everything, everything. That's why I share Christ with the, you know, the servers at a restaurant, because we don't know the ripple effect of the gospel. Mm. That's why I can't ever get any coffee when I'm with you. <laughs> so the baby that she almost aborts ends up growing up and leading her Christ and saving her soul. Yeah. Why? And I want to get back to, to your family, because you have so many great stories about your family. But why don't we share our faith more? Like, really, why is it that so many people in this day and age find it very difficult to share their faith? Well, it comes down to fear. Um, we're afraid of how people are going to respond. Uh, we're afraid of being rejected. Why don't you have that fear? I have that fear. You do? Heck yeah. I, I've been sharing Christ since I was a kid. I still get nervous every time. Really? Every time. And I, but I love it. Because it makes me depend on the Holy Spirit. I say, Lord, fill me. You know, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. When they were filled with the Spirit, those that the Holy Spirit came, 
uh, into that upper room. How did he, how did he come? He didn't come as an eagle or a dove. He came as a tongue set on fire, which is weird. It's a weird <laughs> thing. You ever see a cut of, like a, the cut of meat, a tongue at the butcher shop? It's the ugliest piece of meat. And the Holy Spirit chose a tongue set on fire that broke up into smaller tongues set on fire and set on everybody else. And I think we missed the point of the passage. We start talking about our tongues for today or not. I think the point of that passage is the first sign of the indwelling Holy Spirit is he sets our tongues on fire for the gospel. Wow. So when we yield to the Spirit, he sets our tongue on fire. So I, I think we have to overcome that fear through the power of the Spirit of God. Now, does training help to overcome that fear? I mean, yeah. is, is, is fear coming from ignorance of how to... Share the gospel. That's part of it too. I, I would say fear and ignorance. Are like, how do you even bring it up? If somebody says, "Boy, it's hot in here," do you say it's hot in hell too? Let me tell you about it. <laughs> no, I've done it. It's not effective. But how do I bring it up? So we we train uh, with three simple words: ask, admire, admit. Ask a lot of questions. Admire what you can about what they believe. Find common ground, and then admit the reason you're a Christian is you're so messed up. You needed Jesus to save you. Hmm. And so I think that leads to a conversation. And then we have a we have a gospel acrostic that teenagers can memorize. We also um, we also have an app called Life in Six Words. It's, it's a free app. Great app. Simple to use. I tell teenagers and adults, if you can swipe and read, you can share the gospel free on your app store, Life in Six Words. But yeah, I think ignorance is like, you know, or people are afraid of the what if. What if they ask me a question I don't have the answer to? And our response is this, it's okay not to have the answer. Say, man, I don't know, but I'm going to do my best to find the answer to that and let's meet again. So it, it actually becomes an opportunity to learn and grow and extend that conversation. So, I, I always say that three of the greatest words that every Christian should know are, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, Christians who feel like they have to have an answer for everything are a pain in the neck and they do more damage to the yeah. cause of Christ with uh, making up answers to stuff they don't know. Um, what about the guy, you know, he's been a fireman for 20 years or yeah. he's been construction or a roofer like you were or whatever. The guys at work know him and yeah. he hasn't lived the greatest life. They've heard him yell out the F word a few times. Yeah. He had a few too many beers with them once in a while. So he's like, I can't witness to those guys because they know me. Yeah. And I, I am a Christian, but I haven't always watched myself. How, how, how do they go about witnessing the guys? You know, two things. One is get, get your stuff together. Learn to live and walk in holiness the best that you can. Not that you're never going to fall, but when you are walking day by day in the power of the Spirit, even if you stumble, people see and sense there's something different about you. Mm. But if you have a problem, you know, dropping curse words, I mean, stop, you know, work on that area because you want to shine the light with your life. But don't let that hold you back from giving the gospel because what I tell people, the gospel is like a grenade. It doesn't matter who pulls the pin, it's going to explode. It doesn't matter if it's a 12-year-old girl or a 30-year-old Marine. It's, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So I don't know how God infused divine power into a stick that Moses used to open the Red Sea. I don't know. It's beyond my pay grade. I don't know how God infused divine power into a message that when we declare it with our lips, it will blow people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But it has inherent power. So I would say, share that message and be honest. Like, hey, this is, Christ is still doing that work in me. I know when I was a roofer, I was a roofer for eight years. And, you know, I tried to live the life out. I'd share the gospel. And when somebody would drop an F-bomb around me, a lot of times they would say, man, I'm, I'm sorry. And I would always say the same thing. You're not apologizing 
to me, you're apologizing to the Holy Spirit who dwells in me, who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're like, oh, crap. You know, I got super nervous then. Plus, it's hot in hell. <laughs> it's hot in hell. But here's the thing. Uh, and guys would give me a hard time about it. But guess what? When something went bad in their lives, they didn't go to their drinking buddies. They came to me. Mm. They pulled me aside. And I, you know, uh, my wife has been a public school teacher at the same public school for 26 years. And she became the priest of that school. You know, she goes, why does everybody come to me with their requests? I said, first Peter two, nine, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So as a fireman, as a construction worker, uh, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as whatever you are, you are the priest of that place. So you want to live it out and you want to give it out, share mm. that message in a loving, appropriate way. So your message is stop sinning and start obeying. Right. Yeah, I mean, fail forward. We none of us stop sinning, but no. uh, Romans seven: the good I want to do, I don't do; the evil that I hate, I keep on doing. But live in that, engage in the battle. Don't give up. Keep pressing for holiness. And when you mess up, fess up. Say, man, guys, I shouldn't have talked like that. And you know, ask for forgiveness. And you know, just people know if you're authentically seeking to serve the Lord. Even if you're, you know, my family, when they, when they, you know, when my uncle Jack first came to Christ. He was, he told a guy in a sauna about Jesus. Now they're sitting there naked in a sauna and he's sharing Christ with this guy. Another guy from a different religion keeps interrupting, trying to argue. And Jack goes, Hey, I'm trying to tell this guy about the love of Jesus. Why don't you shut your stinking mouth? <laughs> and he continues to share the gospel. The guy interrupts again. My uncle Jack goes, yo, you, you do that one more time. I'm taking you out. <laughs> and he did it. And the guy interrupts again. Boom. Jack just hits this guy. The guy fell to the ground, looks up and goes, Jesus didn't go around hitting people like that. He goes, well, I ain't Jesus. I'm Jack. <laughs> I'm telling him about Jesus. So, you, you know, you mess up, you, you fail forward, you keep going for it. And again, I do not encourage violence when it comes to evangelism. Uh, did the guy I, get saved in the sauna? The guy did. I actually met him. <laughs> I met him and he told me the story. He goes, I'll never forget it. You know, Uncle Jack telling me about Jesus. And they took a dude out. It was awesome. <laughs> but, um, you know, we can be authentic as we share that, that message. And that really is, I mean, the story of my life is the story of a family that was authentically, radically transformed by the power of the gospel. And men listening to this, I challenge you, God can use you where you are at to share the gospel. He's placed you in a community. He's placed you in a job. He's placed you in a family. You are the priest of that place. Uh, you're the one to declare the praises of God with your life and with your lips. So uh, tell the story about how your uncle Dave toughened you up a little bit. Yeah, this is a harder one. Um, this this was, you know, I'm a fatherless kid. Never seen my biological father face to face. Never heard his voice. Um, and I'm raised in this family of, like, it was like being raised in a family of superheroes. Um, and I was a quiet kid. I was a kid that was always hiding around the house behind stuff, read a book with a flashlight, <laughs> just... Well, you're an average size guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm no by these giants, giants, and 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 tough guys. And I wasn't. I wasn't a, a wimp, but I wasn't a tough kid. I didn't like to fight. Um, and so here I am in this family, and they're all worried about me. I could hear them whispering. You know, this kid gonna make it in this neighborhood. And my mom was worried about me. Well, we we're doing a Christmas celebration, and. 
we get done opening up all the presents. A lot of my uncles and aunts are there, cousins. We get done. We're about to eat lunch, and my uncle Dave is a war hero. Guy, you know, I immensely respect. 40 medals and commendations in one tour of duty in Vietnam. He goes, I got one more present. It's for that, that's like one like every five days. Because he, he flew day and night without end. He was consumed with – he was a, he was a uh, crew chief of a rescue cover, a rescue helicopter. We'll go into the hot zones and rescue American soldiers and just fight off the enemy to rescue. I mean, just, mm. man, I mean, just a hero for me. He goes, I got one more present. It's for little Greg. Well, nobody ever called me out like that, like noticed me. It seemed like to me anyway. So I walk across the room. He gives me this present. Okay, so you're usually kind of in the corner. You got the the loud, brash, violent, big family making all yeah. the noise. You're kind of in the corner. Suddenly he calls you by name. You're suddenly you're in the spotlight. You're not used to it. No. And and I get the present and I open it up and it's a girl's doll. And I honestly thought it was a mistake. I thought he meant to give that to someone else. I go, it's a girl's doll. And he goes, yeah, I figured uh, you don't have a dad, so you probably like to play with dolls like a little girl. Oh, dude. And I snapped. And nobody had ever seen me snap. And I, you know, I'm six or seven years old. I walk up to him, and I shove it in his stomach, and I go, ain't no girl. And I walk back to my corner, and everybody's laughing like, oh, you see that? Maybe he's one of us. Oh, you see that temper? <laughs> well, it wasn't funny to me. I, I was sent into a tailspin because I'm like, okay, this is what my – now. not everybody in my family was behind it. Dave, I found out later, he's like, man, I was actually trying to elicit response from you. You know, I was doing research for my book. Uh, he's like, I, you don't know. I went into the other room and pumped my fist in the air. Cause I, I wanted to see if you had a temper cause we were worried you weren't going to make it. So, but I told him, I said, that could have turned me all sorts of ways, but it, instead of turning me any other way, it turned me toward God and it turned me toward the search for no, who am why? I? Why did it turn you toward God? Because I don't, I actually don't know the answer. That's a great question. I don't know, but it made me begin to think, why am I here? What is my purpose? Who am I? What am I, you know, what is this life all about? How did I get stuck in this crazy don't, family? Don't you think that being an outcast is half the battle to coming to know Christ? You know, it's the people yeah. who want to flock together and conform and stay with all the other ducks that are on the wide road to hell, right? But I think that yeah. being the outcast is a lot of the what draws us to Christ because we're not we we see the need we see the desperation yeah and 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 that's a, exactly what i felt i had a, a tremendous father hole in my soul hmm. um and so 2 years later i i heard the gospel put my faith in christ but then it was like I discovered that my my dad i didn't you know that i was basically a sh a result of a short term sexual tryst you know between my mom and this guy she met at a party um found out about almost being aborted and I had a great bitterness in my soul toward my biological father. I wanted mm. to kill him. How do you feel toward your mom? I always loved my mom because so she it didn't really affect you. No, no, but she was a, she was a tough mom. I mean, I, I literally saw her take out a, a guy with a baseball bat and take out his car a guy. She had married that had left us pulled up one day and she just destroyed his car. And then he made the mistake of getting out to try to stop her. And she beat him so bloody. Really? And I remember, Wow, her walk, I never heard that. Oh, man. I remember her walking back up the stairs. I mean, still, what impressed me, the cigarette stayed in her mouth the whole time. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, how did that stay in there? She comes back up, and I remember thinking, I will never disobey my mom, ever. <laughs> like, she's a tough lady. But so when I was 15, I was at a 
Do you remember the Bill Goff- Gothard conferences? Sure. So, you know, a lot of homeschool, independent fundamentalists, you know, I was, Yankee was kind of an independent fundamentalist pastor. And we went and it was there, Bill Gothard, who we found out since, you know, there's a lot of hot mess stuff going on there. But at the time, I didn't know any of that. What I knew is he preached on forgiving your biological fathers. And at 15, at the Denver Coliseum, in front of all my Christian school friends, I said out loud, Dad, I forgive you. And I melted down. And I began to bawl. And it felt like the love of the Father came into my soul. And I felt loved by, unconditionally loved by a Heavenly Father. Getting that. So the book I'm writing, Unlikely Fighter, is really about just God doing that work of really helping me find who am I? Why am I here? Who's my father? What's my purpose? And uh, and it's to preach the gospel and it's to mobilize teenagers and everyone to share the gospel of Christ. Um, so I'm I'm grateful to be the, the outcast uh, because you can ask any of my family members from the time that happened with the with the gift and Uncle Dave's he's a great guy. He, we we talk all the time, but from the time that happened. Till now, I've n- never been unserious about Christ and the gospel. Mm. I wanted to, this is I got I got my heavenly Father and I got my earthly cause, and we got to get the gospel out because there's so many out there that don't have the hope of Christ, that don't have a heavenly Father, don't have a mission. All right, so we're gonna go to a little break here. When we come back, um, I want to talk about the story with you in college when the guy. Um, picks a fight with you and, and, and sort of how you turn that into a gospel moment. Mm. And then I want to talk about how do men really get trained and find out how they share their faith in Christ. Okay, so as soon as we come back, we're going to hear that you actually were a pretty tough dude. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. Okay, man. So you've been talking about how tough your family is and how you witness for Christ. But but tell us about when you were at Colorado Christian University and you turned a guy attacking you into another. I mean, everything you do turns into you witnessing to people about Christ. But I mean, this is a pretty good story. Yeah. Well, you know, I was I was uh, dating my now wife, Debbie, who I met at Colorado Christian University. And uh, there was another guy there that liked her. And we had just started dating. And this dude was jacked. He was a bodybuilder. He was tough. He was kind of crazy. I was like, man, what are you doing here? He slept with the, he had a bottle of Jack Daniels under his bed and he kept a gun there. Now they don't, they make sure that doesn't happen now at CCU. But back then 
That was the case. He had a gun. And he was just- Guns and Jack Daniels are a good combo. I was like, no, no. And so anyway, well, this dude, man, every time he saw me, he would literally punch me. And and all of a sudden, I felt like I was in middle school again. I'm looking down the hallways, going under the class. And I'm like, oh, man, where's Bruce? I hope he does it. Because he liked Debbie, and he wanted to go out with her. But we were dating. And so, you know what? I just finally had enough. And I'm like, you know, I'm from I'm from the streets. And although I don't like to fight, I know how to fight. So I'm not gonna take it anymore. So I walk, I walk through one of the educational buildings. He's there with a group of his friends. I got all my books. He trips me. And I'm on my way to preaching class. I'm not gonna, gonna preach a sermon. So I'm actually suited up. And I drop all my books and I pick my books up and I look over at him. I go, hey, Bruce, you ever trip me again? I'll beat your leg off and beat you with a bloody stump. What do you, th- what do you think of that? <laughs> and he couldn't believe I said it. So he dropped his books. He runs over. He picks, grabs me, picks me up over his head. That's how strong he was. Threw me down a set of concrete stairs. I grabbed him on the way down and we roll down the stairs and somehow I land on top and I'm like, Aha. And now admit the knees really ticked. He picks me up. He runs me into a wall, but our legs get caught. He hits the wall instead. And I'm like, what's up, slick? And then we just went. And that was the first layer of stairs. We went at it down the second layer of stairs. I mean, we are changing blow for blow. And a teacher pulls us apart. And now I'm in. I'm like fully committed. I got my family gene down there. I got this the switch down there that flipped. And I'm like, what's up, slick? Let's finish this later. <laughs> and so... No, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm like, let's go. Suddenly you see yourself with the big mutton chops. That's right. That's right. But then I started getting super convicted. And I'm like, you know what? This is the way of my family before they knew Christ. And a little bit after. (laughs) (laughs) This is not the way of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus is not that way. So I started praying for Bruce. I said, God, just give me an opportunity to lead him to Christ. Because I was sure he didn't know Christ. I'm out playing basketball in a cul-de-sac at CCU. He comes out. He's like, hey, can I shoot around with you? And I couldn't believe he was actually talking to me. I go, sure. So we're shooting around. And I said, Bruce, I'm so glad salvation isn't by good deeds. Because if it was, I'd be going straight to hell. He goes, you'd be going straight to hell. If it wasn't for Christ dying on the cross, I'd be leading the banner, leading everybody straight to hell. He goes, I'm so grateful for the cross. I couldn't believe it. He He was saved. He was, we were talking about this stuff. And it, CCU is right against Alameda, main thoroughfare through Denver. And we hear this boom up on Alameda. He goes, hey, let's go see if somebody blew a tire on Alameda. So we go up there. And sure enough, a girl had blown a tire uh, in her car. And he goes, let's go help her change it. So, you know, he he takes out the jack and he's changing the tire, you know. And she's standing behind it. And I, I start sharing Christ with her because she's just standing there. She's so open to the gospel. Bruce is looking up this whole time. As he's changing the tire, he's locked in. We get finished. He says, hey, I've not been going to church, but I'm going to start and you're going to come with me. Give me your phone number. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to help you grow. This is so important. And I can believe what I'm watching now. We go back down to the cul-de-sac where the basketball court is and it's night now. We get on her and I go, let's pray for her. We get on our knees right in the middle of the basketball cul-de-sac and we pray and I can hear him sniffling. And we stand up and he's got tears coming down his face and he hugs me and he goes, whispers, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And he pushes me back and he looks at me straight in the eye and he goes, you tell anybody I cried, I'm going to kick your butt. (laughs) So Bruce, if you're listening, sorry. Um, 
but it shows you, you know, the way of the flesh, the old way versus the new way, and the power of the gospel to change everything. That, you know, violence is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. You know, politics are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Moral reformation is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. And I would say this to the uh, men listening to this. God wants to use you to radically transform lives. And it's not through you. It's the Holy Spirit through you. It's the power of the gospel articulated through you, through your life and through your lips. Live it out and give it out. And God can use you in powerful, powerful ways. All right. So how? So um, the average guy listening to this yep. hasn't shared his faith very much. Like, I want to go, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that has that kind of moment where I tell the girl um, with the blown out tire or the, it, that keeps mm-hmm. leading the waitress to Christ's group, Ken Harrison's dinner. Um, how am I that guy? What do I do? Where do I go to find out how I actually give the gospel? So I'm, you know, I work for a ministry called Dare to Share. We're like, I'm like Liam Neeson and Taken. Dare with the number two. Dare the number two share. I'm, I'm like Liam Neeson and Taken. I have a very particular set of skills, right? <laughs> and uh, so go to daretoshare.org. We got lots of tools and resources to help you share your faith. I'll give you a little crash course right now. So I've already shared, how do you bring it up? Ask, admire, admit, ask a ton of questions. Find out where they're at spiritually. Get to know them personally and then find out where they're at spiritually. Go to church anywhere. Yes, no, where do you go to church? Just any, or no, I don't. I don't believe in God. Then admire what you can. So you, you meet somebody who's a Mormon, right? Well, what can you admire? And why do I say admire? Because sometimes people cringe at that. Paul in Acts 17, he's preaching the gospel to a bunch of Stoic and philosopher uh, Athenian uh, Greeks, right? And he finds out something he can agree with. Hey, I, I, you are very religious people. Way to go. I even found an altar to an unknown God. I want to talk to you about him today. So you can admire something. Don't start with the argument. Find what you agree with. So you're talking to a Mormon, man, a lot of times they have a super focus on family, focus on mission. Uh, they have excellent cardio because they bike, <laughs> they bike everywhere. Um, but there's a lot that, you know, I've known a lot of Mormons. It's hard to keep up with all his wives. You know, <laughs> I don't want to get into that. But you find what you agree with, ask, admire, and then admit. Admit the reason you're a Christian is you're so messed up, you needed Jesus to save you. That's when you share your testimony. This story of how you came to Jesus. You you admit why you need Jesus. And then you share the gospel. So people are like, well, what how do I do that? And man, I tell you, I really challenge you to memorize what I'm about to share with you. It's an acrostic. I've trained to memorize it. Memorize it. You memorize other things. You memorize sports statistics. You memorize stuff for work. You memorize phone numbers. You memorize the lyrics to songs. I know you do. I can see you when I'm driving down the street. You're singing out loud. You think nobody else sees you. You know those lyrics. You can memorize these six sentences that actually I've trained millions of teenagers and youth leaders in this and and seen middle schoolers memorize this. Um, Children memorize this. It's an acrostic that spells gospel. And it tells the whole story of the Bible. G-O-S-P-E-L. G, God created us to be with him. Genesis 1 and 2, God made us to be in a relationship with him. He cares about us. He made Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with each other, the creation, um, with God. Everything was perfect. Then, oh, our sins separate us from God. Adam and Eve sinned, became fallen in their natures. Every baby ever born since, except for Christ himself, has been born in rebellion against God. Our sins separate us from God. God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. 
because that garden represented his presence. We've been kicked out of his presence ever since. As his sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We see this from Genesis 4 through Malachi 4. The blood, the sweat, and the tears, the blood of all the Old Testament sacrifices, the sweat of trying to obey the 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition when we fail to, none of that could re- remove the stain of our sin. Say that one again. Sins yes. cannot be removed by good deeds. Okay, so we've got, go to the GOS again. GOS, and I'm going to give you a cheat sheet. If you're writing this down, you, you can stop, because I'm going to give you a cheat sheet where you can you can just see this all written down for you. P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. He died in our place for our sin and rose from the dead. Uh, uh, e, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. It's not by trying, it's by trusting. When you put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven for all your sins. You receive the gift of eternal life. And L, uh, we see that, by the way, in the book of John, the word believe or faith or trust 98 times. Believe, believe, believe. Trust in him alone. And then L is life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Acts of Revelation. It's not just about going to heaven someday. It's about the quality of life today in relationship with Christ. It changes everything. Um so if you want a cheat sheet on this, just download the Life in Six Words app and it's on your it's on Google Play, it's on the App Store. Life in Six Words, the number six, Life in Six Words. Look it up, it's free. And all this is on there. And by the way, it comes in 12 different languages, the Spanish to Hindi to Mandarin to Italian to German. And you just push a button, everything changes. So if you know somebody who speaks a different language, um, we're going to be adding more and more languages to that free app. So life in six words. So you explain the gospel. And then, you know, I, I call those six sentences like chords on a guitar. You learn the chords. It's awkward at first. And then you put them all together and make a song, right? Learn those chords. Master the gospel acrostic. Get it down. And then make it your own. Kind of make your own song based out of that. Um and then the two closing questions I use is, does that make sense? And is there anything holding you back from trusting in Jesus right now? So you give them an opportunity. You have your own like one-on-one altar call and give them an opportunity. You don't force them. You don't want to co- coerce anyone to come to Christ, but you give them an opportunity right then to trust in Jesus. And a lot of times I think um, we're afraid of doing that because it puts them on the spot. But we have a saying at Dare to Share, awkward is awesome. Jesus was the prince of peace and the king of awkward. Mm. Right? To woman at the well, go go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the dude you're shacking up with now is not your husband. That's awkward, right? Mm. Rich young ruler, you want to be one of my disciples? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow. I mean, awkward, right? We need to, we need to have those awkward moments where we're eye to eye, face to face, and we're giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus so that's my little crash course on how to share the gospel. Greg, what do you do with people who want to argue with you about politics? You know, I mean, I've, I've witnessed to people a lot and they say, well, you know, I can't believe in a God who will send homosexuals to hell. Yeah. And, uh, and I've got my answer for that. But what, what is your answer when someone wants to suck you into a side road? Yeah. I take him to the cross. Uh, I, 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 keep, I keep talking about what Jesus did because to me, like, once a person understands there's a God that loves them, we may differ on a lot of stuff. I've shared Christ where I differ politically, lifestyle choices, all this other stuff that we differ with, right? 
But once the Holy, once they put their faith in Christ, they see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior and put their faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of them. And God begins that work of sanctification. And obviously, He uses us too to disciple and equip, showing the authority of God's word. But I take them straight to Jesus. And there's no transformer like the Spirit of God. In fact, this actually is probably a good time for you to tell about uh, how you were leaving, speaking of promise keepers, and stopped in front of a group of lesbians to tell them about Jesus. Well, I, yeah. So, so I'm I'm uh, preaching at a promise keepers 2003. Nobody knows who I am. Still, nobody knows it. It's fine. But I have to keep my speaker badge on, right? Because I use a speaker badge to get. I get in the van to go from the hotel to the venue. It's in Baltimore. And first of all, and they wouldn't even let you in the van. They went there like speakers only, son. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a speaker. Here's my badge. It says speaker on it. So I got this lanyard. And you were like over 40 by that. By yeah. That. I mean, you're. But I, work, but I work with teens and, you know, it's a whole different world, a youth world versus. The promise keepers won't even let you on the speaker's bus because they think you're a child. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they finally, they see my speaker badge. They let me, I try to get backstage, speakers only. I show them my badge. <laughs> I get on stage and I tell everybody, I go, you know, for 30 minutes, I preach at promise keepers, which is the easiest gig on the planet. Because at that time for 20 minutes, you could just say, I love Jesus. How about you? And everybody's like, he's so deep. You know, Woo. <laughs> I mean, everybody's all pumped up. Up, I'm pumped up. I get off uh, the stage. I go back in the speaker van. By now they know me. And I'm like, can you take me back to the hotel? So they're driving. And right across the street, there's a group of lesbians protesting promise keepers. And I knew they were lesbians because they had a sign that literally was, we are, we are lesbians. <laughs> and they were protesting being gay. And I told the driver, hey, lesbians, pull over. And he goes like, lesbians? He pulls over. I run across the street. I go, hey, what are you guys protesting? They said, we're protesting promise keepers because they hate gays. I go, well, I'm a promise keeper speaker. And I don't hate gays. And I showed them my badge that says speaker. And they're like, well, you think it's a sin? I go, I do. I do, because the Bible says it is. But you don't think it's a sin. They're like, it's not a sin. I go, you know what? We could argue about that all day. So let's set that aside and let me ask you a different question. Are you a sinner? They're like, homosexuality is not a sin. I go, no, we're going to differ on that. But are you a sinner? Have you ever lied? They're like, yeah, have you ever cheated? Yeah. I go, we got something in common. We both have lusted after women. And one lady starts laughing out loud. And that just took the walls down. And for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we talked about the gospel. None of them put their faith in Christ, but we had a real conversation. And I guarantee you, those women remember that conversation to this day. And I remember that conversation because it was a real conversation about a God who loved them enough to send his son to die for them and that offers them eternal life and eternal hope. And my, I'm convinced when a person puts their faith in Christ, they're made a new creation and God begins that work of sanctification. But first things first, first thing is you need to have an encounter with the living God. And once you do, he will, he'll change it from the inside out. Changes me. He's still changing me from the inside out. Here's where I preach for just a minute. So the important thing is what you just said was you saw them as human beings who God loved. Yes. And fellas, men and women who are watching this, listen to this right now. It's important that when you talk about Christ, when you share your faith, you're not doing some Christian thing. You're not doing um, some good work. You're talking to a human being who's lost and who needs Jesus. And so no matter what it is, you're not there to win an argument. You're there to give the good news. That's it. That's totally it. And people desperately need the Lord. And it's, it's I mean, it, whether you're preaching in a prison, whether you're preaching in a church, I mean, there are religious people 
that are as lost as as the the worst sinner on the planet because they don't know Jesus. They've never put their faith in Christ and Him. You know, the word gospel means good news. I see these guys on the corner screaming at people, repent, you sinners, you're all going to hell. And I've approached those guys before. I remember down in downtown Denver, 16th Street Mall, there was a group, they were singing some song and in between they're like, repent, you're all going to hell. And I go up to them, I go, hey, I'm a preacher. I go, how's your evangelism going? They're like, we're getting persecuted for sharing the gospel. I go, you're not being persecuted for sharing the gospel. You get being persecuted for being jerks. I go, you wouldn't buy somebody's shoes like that. Like, hey, you know, if somebody's trying to sell you shoes, hey, Bigfoot, I got some clown shoes for you. Come on over. <laughs> Would you buy their shoes? I go, do you think anybody's going to accept Jesus yelling at them? I said, man, talk to people. So I encourage, man, just what you said. See everyone as somebody who's made in the image of God, who desperately needs that, their, that creator to be their savior. And once Jesus comes in, you don't, you don't have to help him. He's in the transformation business. Once they put their faith in Christ, he will begin that work of sanctification and transformation. If he's there, the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. He's going to work to transform them from the inside out, no matter who it is. So get it, make the introduction. So close us out with a story about when you preached your first real sermon. Yeah. So I was 15 years old. Here's my family now, mostly radically transformed. There's one uncle who's a holdout, Uncle Richard, uh, is from Arizona. My grandpa is dying. He's in the hospital. My uncles are all talking. Uncle Dave, Uncle Jack, Uncle Tommy, um, Uncle Bob. Everyone but, has an Uncle Bob. Yeah, everybody's got an Uncle Bob. Everybody's no, not very many people have an Uncle Bob like me. But <laughs> everybody's got an Uncle Bob. Um, and they're talking and they keep looking over. My grandma comes in the room and they pull her in and they're looking over at me and I'm doing math homework, you know, in the waiting room waiting for my grandfather to, to pass. And they all walk up to me and they said, uh, you're going to give the sermon at grandpa's funeral. I go, well, I had preached some little sermons for preaching contests in our fundamentalist, you know, Christian school. I'm like, guys, you need a real pastor that, you know, to do the service. And they said, no, Uncle Richard's there. We want a clear gospel to be given. And we know that you'll give a clear gospel. And by the way, we're not asking you. We're telling you. And when my family says that, you say, yes, I agree. So the sin was taken out, but the personality was still <laughs> The personality the still there. And uh, my Uncle Dave, he was like, what are you, chicken? I'd go, nope, I'm doing it, right? And Uncle Dave, the same one who gave me the gift, believer in the Lord now. And uh, they call me out. And I remember... 500 people showing up to my grandpa's funeral, open casket. My whole family's there. All his coworkers are there. So many people. My Uncle Richard's there. And I pray, God, fill me with your spirit. And I preach for 30 minutes as a 15-year-old kid. And I lay the gospel out. And I give an invitation. My Uncle Richard won't even bow his head and close his eyes. He's got his eyes open like, you ain't, you ain't getting me, boy. But a bunch of people put their faith in Christ. And when that sermon was over, I paused for a second and I knew this was my calling. This is what I'm called to do. This was the, the gift that I'd been unwrapping since that time I was six years old with my Uncle Dave, my identity in Christ. I'm called to preach the gospel and mobilize others to preach the gospel. And 12 years later, my Uncle Richard ended up putting his faith in Christ as well. So, yeah, it's... 
It's a powerful story. It's a crazy story. And be praying for that book, Unlikely Fighter, um, that God will use it to minister to many, many people about the power of the gospel and the potential of young people. And it's coming out through Tyndale, and I've seen the cover, and it's a cool cover. Yeah, it's in, it's actually available for pre-order already on Amazon, but Tyndale Publishing and excited about it. And if you think about it, pre-order it, because that actually really helps an author out, because all those sales go the first week the book comes out, and it really helps the momentum of a book if, if people pre-order that book. So I will pre-order it as soon as we're done. Great. Would you? Already one sold. Is how, yeah, that's right. I'm sure your mom, you're, you're not your mom, your wife. And my wife too. I know Deb is, is, she was 50-50 on whether or not she was going to buy one. <laughs> she already knows all the stories. That's right. She knows the stories. So since you had to lead me in prayer before we started this, because I forgot, would yeah. you lead us out of prayer, all of us, Let's do right it. now? Father, I, I thank you for this time with Ken. Thank you for the power of the gospel to change lives, to change, Lord, our family, the chiefs of sinners. Lord, you've changed us with the power of the gospel. And I pray for every man listening to this right now, would you give them a holy boldness that comes from your Holy Spirit? Would you tear down those strongholds that make them think, I can't do this. I, I don't live the, an, a godly enough life. I don't have the right words to say. Would you replace those excuses with a holy boldness, with a fire, set their tongues on fire with the gospel and use them, unleash them uh, to reach family, friends, neighbors, co-workers with the hope of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. And if there's anybody listening to this right now that hasn't put their faith in Christ, I pray that they would believe that Jesus died in their place for their sin, that he rose from the dead, and that by faith alone in him, they can have eternal life, that they'll put their faith in him right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's never not awesome, man. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.